electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends, just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, listen to me. We should have been down today. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, we had a darn great run. Down jumping 500 points. That's gaining 1.61%. NASDAQ pulling 2.1%. All right, how do we explain this obviously, come on, obviously bizarre action? Every morning I do this memo. It's called uh, what I am looking at. It's, it's for the investing club. Do you know I counted 29 negative research notes out of total of 34 today? I'm telling you, that's insanely gloomy. So you got to ask yourself, what made this rally possible if all the research was negative? I like to start with the usual suspects when I try to figure out why something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. First, you check the bond market. Bonds have been driving the bus lately with the relentless declines, right? Nothing different there today. Bonds were down again, sending interest rates higher. Very rare to see stocks rallying when that happens. Wasn't the market supposed to go down? Then you check the earnings. Oh, mixed bag, nothing remarkable, though we did get a nice bump from Johnson Johnson as its numbers, particularly in MedTech, showed a positive reversal of fortune. But that stock was down eight when I came in here. Nut idiots, the people who sold. J&J splitting itself up, and there's a lot to like. But it's not powerful enough to drive the whole market as much as I like the company. Housing starts data. I don't know. We got a large multifamily bill, but less single-family home construction, which is, of course, what you'd expect with a 30-year mortgage rate of 5.3%. Again, nothing groundbreaking, nothing sent us up. Ukraine? Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told the Indian media that his regime isn't interested in nuclear war. You might think that's a positive, but this is the same guy who said Russia wasn't interested in invading Ukraine right up until the day the invasion happened. So let's take this with a Euro mountain of salt. Finally, did we get a break in commodity inflation? Not really. Today, the grain complex flirted with multi-year highs, frightening throwback to past famines. Sure, oil and natural gas were down, but then again, they spiked. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Inflation's still raging. 
No wonder James Board, the president of the St. Louis Fed, made a case for taking the Fed funds rate to 3.5%, which requires 75 basis point hike at the main meeting if they're going to get there on time. Again, bad news for the stock market. So if the usual suspects all have alibis, what can explain today's unexpected rally? Well, first, their sentiment. We came in oversold minus 3.7% on that, minus 3.7, I'm sorry, on that oscillator that I always talk about, the S&P 1, I pay for that. Numbers matter. When the oscillator's that far into negative territory, it's harder for the market to plummet. More important, the American Association of Individual Investors poll just came out with its most negative sentiment reading since September of 1994. That date sticks in my head. Because as a hedge fund manager back then, I was faked out by how much the Fed could hurt the stock market. 1994 was the year the Fed nearly doubled rates. They had taken the Fed funds rate from 3 to 5.5, including two double rate hikes and one triple rate hike nightmare that spooked everyone out of the market. But 1994 was also the year that the great bull market of the 90s got rolling right at the end. It was as if stocks had been stuck in a rut until the most aggressive Fed tightening cycle imaginable happened. And it turned out to be a magnificent, magnificent biome today. Hey, they whipped inflation. It's one of the best in history. I always talk about how important it is for the Fed to engineer what's known as a soft landing for the economy rather than triggering a recession. Back in 1994, the plane landed perfectly despite the crazy man-made turbulence. According to Bullard, even though the Fed's behind the curve this time, they can still land the plane safely without, without triggering a recession. Yet sentiment is as negative now as it was in the darkest days of 1994. That doesn't necessarily mean you're seeing a sustainable bottom, but it's pretty encouraging precedent, don't you think? It's also a good reason not to freak out when you hear these Fed officials talk about how we need a series of ruthless rate hikes. The second driver of today's rally is something a little more ethereal, hard to get your arms around, particularly for a, you know, a dollar sign represented by a man, which is me. I don't know if there's a, a politically correct way to say this, but America has a whole lot more to offer than any other nation on Earth. I think we tend to underestimate our advantages, even as those advantages often come in spite of the U.S. government, not because of it. What do I mean by advantages? Listen, if you live in Europe right now, you're beginning to feel the pain from a lack of natural resources, coupled with some tremendous policy mistakes over the past decade. Starting in May, Europe will have an oil shortfall of 3 million barrels per day. At the same time, governments like Germany are basically financing Russia's war of aggression by continuing to purchase Russian oil and gas. But America is not like Europe. We've got more natural resources than we know what to do with. A decade ago, we produced 6 million barrels of oil per day in this country. Now we're producing more than double that, and we could significantly increase our output in order to help out Europe if we wanted to. According to Russia Brazil, our favorite fossil fuel expert from RBN Energy, we could produce another million or two barrels per day and still have, amazingly, enough port capacity to ship it overseas. Someone was thinking ahead. At the same time, we have a 100-year supply of natural gas. In short, people, we are blessed. We're not hostage to other countries for our natural resources, which is a gigantic competitive advantage. Remember that class at college or high school? Who knows what kind of numbers European companies can put up given their insanely elevated energy costs? Sure, our gasoline prices are big, but Europe's got an honest-to-goodness energy crisis. All right, so how about China? For years, the People's Republic of China seemed to be running circles around us economically. Their authoritarian dictatorship embraced capitalism, pursued very smart industrial policy that allowed them to grow like crazy. But now the Chinese economy is seeing the downside of living under a dictatorship, isn't it? Aside from the countless human rights abuses, which go without saying, I'm talking about China's COVID policy because their government, 
refused to use high-quality Western vaccines. Nearly everybody in China got homegrown vaccines, much lower efficacy. Think our flu vaccine, when you get the flu anyway. So now they're locking down vast swaths of the country to prevent COVID from spreading. They have what's known as a zero-tolerance policy. Here in America, we have a max-tolerance policy, especially if this latest judge is ruling that gets rid of the mass mandates in airports and planes. When nearly everybody's been vaccinated, business should be able to go back to normal. But because the Chinese government refuses to use the good stuff, COVID is much more dangerous there than it is here. So they're adopting insanely draconian policies to stop the spread, like it's still 2020. I say democracy one, totalitarianism zero. Now, these comparative advantages haven't changed overnight. We have to accept that the gulf between the United States and nearly every other industrialized country grows by the day. We don't have a belligerent nut job of a president who's trying to commit genocide against his neighbors like Russia. We don't have hundreds of millions of people in COVID lockdown like China. And we don't have a serious energy shortage like Europe. Sure, we got higher flank steak prices, more expensive cornflakes, bigger gasoline bill, but we also have much higher wages to combat the pain. And who knows, maybe tomorrow the focus could be on the horrendous shortfall of Netflix and abysmal decline, not future bad forecasts. But we need to remember that unlike when I was growing up, our competitive advantage is no longer just Hollywood. The bottom line, I say America has the edge on the rest of the world, and that's the secret sauce that explains a great deal of today's actions and the additional gains to follow. Edward in Massachusetts. Edward. Hello, Jim. Thanks Edward. for taking my... Do you think Costco's earning multiple is sustainable? They have a team at Costco. That is second to none. I think that as retailers go, when you're thinking about Craig Chelinick, who we met, remember we went to, went to see him? When you're thinking about Rich Galanti, who runs the calls, maybe the smartest CFO in the world, what you'd say is you're right. It's not sustainable. The multiple's going to increase. This level's too low. Dino in Michigan. Dino. Hey, booyah, Jim. How you doing? Booyah, Jimmy Chill says. What's up? Hey, doing great. Thank you for everything you do for us investors. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm going in uh, today regarding Okta and getting your thoughts on the way they handled their most recent uh, security breach and if you think they can recover or is it time to jump ship? No, no. I mean, I like we had a co-CEO guy on this founder on this morning on Squawk, and I thought he did a good job. And when Todd McKinnon comes back on, I think he'll have a better story to tell. Hey, listen, Zendesk talking about a deal. When we go out there, when we're out west, listen up. These companies are the future. Don't give up on Okta, even if you are like me and like Palo Alto, better. And same with CrowdStrike. Kathleen in New York. Kathleen. Hi, Jim. Thank you for speaking with me. Of course. Well, with inflation rising and uh, rates, isn't it positive for a buy now, pay later uh, company like a firm? But they don't advertise, and a lot of people don't know what their services are. Last part of the question is, why are there quite a few class action lawsuits, if you could shed some light? Well, I, I, I will point blank say that class action lawsuits are frivolous, because this man, Max Lepch, has done everything he can to be able to make money. But when, when rates rise and other banks get in the same business, all of the companies that look like a firm go down. So it's not necessarily a firm. It is the cohort. But thank you for the question, Kathleen. Now, America's got the edge on the rest of the world, and that secret sauce can often explain a lot of today's action. You're going to hear more about this 
pretty much for the rest of my life because I think we don't we denigrate our own country way too much. On Man Money Tonight, Plug Power stock jumped today after announcing a new agreement with Walmart to provide the mega retailer with green hydrogen, you know, my favorite kind. Now I'm learning more about the deal with Cuppy CEO. Then after reporting a top and bottom line beat for the quarter, I'm getting to the heart of the report with the CEO of Bank of America, and you know I thought it was a beaut. And Prologis rallied today once again after highlighting record demand in the real estate space. I'm crunching numbers with the best warehouse company in the world. Steak with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Just because the high-growth momentum stocks have occasionally lost their mojo, we had a good day today, that doesn't mean anything's changed at the underlying companies. So you take a company like Plug Power, it's one of the leading players in the hydrogen fuel cell space with a rapidly growing hydrogen-powered forklift business. When the Fed declared war on inflation last November, a Plug Power, like so many others, saw its stock plunge, mid-40s, high teens, although bottom in January has now rebounded to the high 20s. That's because while Plug Power, the stock, has gone out of style, Plug Power, the company, is still signing up new customers left and right. Just today, they announced a really important new deal to supply Walmart with up to 20 tons per day of liquid green hydrogen for its forklifts. This is a huge validation of Plug Power's investment in its green hydrogen network. I thought it would take much longer for this story to play out. It's no wonder the stock jumped nearly 10% today. So let's take a closer look with Andy Moore. She's the president and CEO of Plug Power. To learn more about the, about the Walmart contract, what it means for the future of his business. Mr. Morris, welcome back to Mad Money. Always a pleasure to be here, Jim. All right, so Andy, let's get right to it. Uh, I need to know what exactly this contract means versus other great contracts you've gotten, including with Walmart. 
Jim, this is really just the start of green hydrogen with Walmart. Walmart understands that reduce their, to reduce their carbon footprint by one gigaton of CO2, hydrogen is critical. You know, it's starting with things like forklift trucks, Jim, but it's going to move into other applications at Walmart, like stationary power with mobility. To us, you know, this is really just a start of the network we're building at Green Hydrogen, and Walmart will be a key customer and key partner in that journey. Andy, but someone once told me, a very smart person, said that Green Hydrogen right now is too, uh, it, it, it's not cost effective, it's too costly. And that person was you. What's changed? <laughs> well, I've gotten smarter, Jim. <laughs> uh, so when I look at it today, at around three cents a kilowatt hour, hydrogen is very competitive with gray hydrogen. And that really comes from the cost of renewables. And we've done a real good job at being able to source low-cost hydro, like we're doing in upstate New York, wind and solar, as we're doing in California, and wind in Texas in the, in the wind belt, where we're able to achieve goals of less than three cents a kilowatt hour to make hydrogen competitive today. And that's why Walmart did the green hydrogen deal. Oh, okay. That was something you told me had to happen before this would work. Now, I want to be sure about the wording, okay? What, what's new here? I mean, because you said in the, in the deal that the specific wording is uh, Plug Power announced an agreement with Walmart for an option to deliver up to 20 tons. How do we know this isn't going to be one ton and that's it? Oh, Jim, we've had a long, long-term relationship with Walmart starting back in 2008 when I've joined the company. And I can tell you that commitment's much, much deeper, that it's 20 tons, but we expect, and, you know, we expect to be expanding and growing with Walmart, and we expect it to be much larger than, larger than 20 tons. I think a perfect example, years ago, I was out talking about doing 63 forklift trucks with Walmart. Today, we're doing 9,500. And look, I think green hydrogen can grow the same way. Well, I don't want to be too optimistic, but when I thought of this, I said to myself, energy security. How about, how about Europe and energy security? What are we, this could be perfect for, for everybody. You know, Jim, we had our brand launch today, and I had people from Belgium here and other European countries. Uh, when you look at it, uh, you know, we we've have done, and it may not seem like a huge number, but in the last 10 days, I've done about $45 million worth of new contract for generating green hydrogen with our electrolyzers in Europe. And we continue to see it expand rapidly in Europe. So it is something that uh, we're developed. We have many partnerships in Europe, as you know, with Renault for vehicles on the road, with Axiona for building out a green hydrogen network in Europe, and others will be coming. So yes, uh, green hydrogen is critical for energy independence. When I look at it, you know, company, a country doesn't need to depend on tyrants. It can actually generate all their energy needs themselves with renewable and green hydrogen. Now, how about, I think people have to understand, in many, many cases, you are uh, supplanting the worst, which is diesel, correct? This foul-smelling diesel. We are, we are replacing diesel, and that's one of our taglines, Jim, is that uh, that's really the key. 
uh, we'll eliminate diesel. We can help eliminate gasoline long term. We can help decarbonize processes people don't think about, like green steel. Not a lot of people think about green steel, but uh, there is a huge market opportunity for our green hydrogen, and which we're working with large European conglomerates to change their process. Because hydrogen, as you know, burns in the sun, and it can right. burn here on Earth, too, at high temperatures. All right, one last thing. I, I, I see a lot of people, and people know me as a stock guy, and there's a bunch of contractors I see every day, and construction guys. One of them stops me uh, on, on Thursday. He goes, hey, I got that plug power. I, are they ever going to make any money? What do I say to him tomorrow when I see him? Well, Jim, I can tell you our green hydrogen is one of the key items to make plug a profitable company. Uh, it's why we vertically integrate it. We've been talking about for the last year and, hit and a half, the 500 tons of green hydrogen that we're building across the United States, which will complete by 2024, will make Plug a profitable company, and our goal is to do it sooner than that. Well, I'm going to tell that guy, and he's going to say, I want to know if that guy misses his, his target. So you better be there, all right, Andy? I plan to be there, Jim. You know you can always trust this Philadelphia guy. Yes, indeed, although um, <laughs> Philly's not off to a great start yet. But anyway, that's Andy Marsh, president and CEO of Plug Power. Thank you, Andy. Good to see you. Thank you, Jim. All right, man, money's back into the break. Coming up, a cherry atop earnings season? With rate hikes in the offing, can Bank of America help home gamers hungry for stability? Kramer asks the top brass next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why can't the darn bank stocks seem to get more love? This is a group that should be on fire right now with the Federal Reserve on track to aggressively raise interest rates. Yet most of the big banks have come down substantially from their highs over this year. Most of them didn't deliver. 
Now, I know J.P. Morgan freaked people out last week with some frightening comments about the war in Ukraine. But what about the more domestically oriented financials or the ones that saw Russia as not a good credit risk a long time ago? Yesterday morning, we heard a very different story from Bank of America, which brought a terrific top and bottom line beat. Even better, management sounded incredibly confident about the state of the American consumer. That's why Bank of America jumped 3.4% yesterday, plus tapping on another 2%. But the stock's on 21% for its February highs. Sells for just 12 times earnings. I think that's a steal. I also think it's ridiculous. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Brian Moynihan, the chairman and CEO of Bank of America, to get a better read on the quarter and the consumer in America. Mr. Moynihan, welcome back to Bad Money. Hey, Jim, how are you? All right, Good Brian, to my, see you again. My favorite line, Brian, in this report was when you said you can see the organic growth engine that our company is delivering. Once again, no banks are, are organic except for yours. Tell us why. Well, we have a great team and a great franchise. We have great customers who give us more business and tell our friends about us. And so year over year, you saw us grow our deposits 200, more than 200 billion, 240 billion. You saw our loans grow 10%. You saw, you know, we had a downdraft in investment banking fees, but you saw wealth management fees up nice. And so we grew revenue, expenses were down, that creates operating leverage, and that's off the organic growth engine that's delivering more accounts, 200 plus thousand new customers for the consumer business in the first quarter alone. What I think is incredible is because of your digital efforts and because of your customer service and who you guys are, this is sticky money. This isn't jumping from one place to another, correct? Yeah, we have a trillion foreign deposits for people, for consumers like you and me, you know, from mass market consumers all the way up to wealthy consumers. 1.4 trillion of our $2 trillion is in that consumer base. About 40% of it's in checking. People uh, have a lot of money in their checking balance, and we can talk about that because of the stimulus payments and everything and higher wages. But the reality is, is that's sticky money. And when we saw the repricing of the Fed last time, all the way, you know, from the floor of zero up to 2%, you know, you could see our pricing go through. And even while that went on, we grew our deposit base 5% in the preceding 12 months. So we can grow as a Fed's right rise because the team does a very good job of getting more customers and doing a great job for them in the digital capabilities, the branch capabilities, the wealth management, uh, uh, financial advisors and private bankers. Across the board, they do a great job. Well, I, unlike most people who say that, you're actually proud that your people are being paid more. I mean, I, everyone's so gun shy because of Wall Street saying, wow, they're paying their people too much. I'm worried. That is not the line that you tell people. Well, we we have a great team. But if you think about a company like ours, we're basically a very talented group of 200,000 plus people. A bunch of computers that they use to serve their customers well or the customers can use directly well and, and buildings to house them. So. People are what our company is, and they're the ones that make the computers work, and they're the ones that do the great job for the customers. So we pay them well, and we started minimum uh, starting salaries now $22, full benefits, $10,000 tuition reimbursement, $275 a month per child for child care uh, credits for people at the lower income levels, you know, health care that's well taken care of for lower income and higher income people pay more. We do all that because we need this great town and group of people to serve our customers well. And our brand score is now at the highest they've ever been, which is a good thing. Now, at the same time, you uh, have pretty good data on the strength of the consumer. And I love the line dry powder. That could keep us out of recession, can it? Yeah, I think if you think about it, just a couple uh, facts. Uh, in the first quarter, uh, in the month of March 22 versus March 21, the consumers, you know, fairly stated, spent about 13 percent more than they did last year. And by the way, there were 7 percent to 8 percent more transactions. So even there's inflationary part of pricing that's done. So we showed that to the investors yesterday, showed it to the world yesterday. 
But importantly, in the first couple of weeks in April, that number has moved back to 18 percent, indicating faster spending of the consumers. And people say, well, it's due to inflation. But gasoline expenditures are about 5 percent of 21 percent of what people spend in a Bank of America. So that's a trillion dollars almost in a quarter, grown at 13 percent. The consumers are out there spending. Now, what's driving that is the second part of it, and what you mean by dry powder. If you look in the consumer account, so you take, I talked yesterday about two cohorts. Customers had one to $2,000 in their accounts pre-pandemic, averaged 1,400 or so. They now have about 3,400 or 3,500 in the account. For people who averaged uh, between two and $5,000, average clear balance in their account, they now have, they average about $3,000. They now have about $12,000, $13,000 in their account. So they have more money and it's grown every month for the last year, more or less. Uh, and the last time payment was a year ago. And that's just because people are earning more and getting paid more. And frankly, there's been a governor on their spending because travel and other things have been hard and now it's going to open up and they'll keep doing it. You gave us some unbelievable tra- you know, uh, the travel restaurant spend recovery. I mean, rest, this, these are amazing numbers. No, and they are. And I know you're in the restaurant business. So hopefully your restaurants are full and and people can't even get a reservation. They but, are. You know, you're, so you're seeing people spend you're seeing people spend money. And that's that's a good thing. Now, the question is, is that puts pressure on the Fed. But the Fed knows what job they do. They got to raise rates and bring the inflation down. That's not theoretical. And it will. Will it be a soft landing or a slightly hard landing? But that under I, in, in, in investing, you say don't fight the Fed. I would always believe in America, don't fight the U.S. consumer. They, they are a very strong force, and you can see them very healthy. Their loan balances are down. They have plenty of borrowing capacity, and they have plenty of spending capacity. I love that. Now, uh, we, you and I always talk digital, and it was nice at the beginning. Now it is an imperative. Do you know I spoke to every, almost, what, say, I did speak to every CEO or number two at all the big banks. And you know what they say? Uh, yeah, Brian got that right. They say, Brian got that right. What did they what did you get right that they all wish they had done? Well, it just took investment across long periods of time and discipline to do things that people will use and get them to use them. So it does a a whole bunch of wonderful things don't work unless the customer actually gets the benefit, actually uses them to do things. So whether it's the Zelle payments, which now I mean, this is kind of interesting. This quarter we passed where people sent more transactions on Zelle to send me to send Jim money as opposed than wrote checks and wrote checks. So you've seen the crossover finally where that's happening. You, you think about digital sales. Uh, we started building that product by product many years ago. And that has ended up with 53% of the sales are digital. And by the way, all the branches are open after the pandemic is mitigated. Right. Now, all 4,000 plus branches are open. All those teammates are working hard, handling people in a high touch, which is critically important. But 50% are coming digital. So you can get a mortgage, a car loan, a card, open a, a checking account all online. Merrill Edge is growing strong, a lot of online applications. So what did we do? We invested $3 billion a year for many years in technology, and you just had to be investing. But you had to keep the discipline of being an innovator to develop feature functionality, but being a disciplined person to get, get it in a way the customers really would use it. So they would deposit their checks with mobile. They would use Zelle. They would use uh, Merrill Edge, not just build functionality for functionality. And we're at 54 million digital users and 40, at 35 million uh, uh, active, you know, literally using it all the time, or 40-odd million using it all the time. And it's very strong right now. Well, one last thing. I know uh, there was this New York Times article quietly turned back a, back a burger around. You, do more. you don't even need to do more, but I know you will. But one of the things you did was you created this, the Think Small, small business. 
I saw your small business numbers, your percentage of, of market share. I am telling you that ad campaign worked, Brian, in so many different ways that neither, neither one of us ever thought would happen. Well, the, the small business uh, team does a great job. A woman named Sharon Miller runs that segment. And then we have a segment just next bigger than that, which is five to $50 million companies. Raul Nye runs. And then we have our middle market that Wendy Stewart runs. But if you go across that continuum, that small business is $80 $90 billion plus in deposits. Uh, it just really grows strong. They do a great job. They're the number one, we're the number one lender to small businesses in the country. And, and Sharon and her team do a great job. And again, that's digital functionality and that's personal functionality. And we've got a lot of upside there because we just we bought in our merchant service platform and now we're deploying it and I just walked into branch the other day at near the Boston Marathon where they're setting up and I had some time to kill and I walked in and talked to the person she was a merchant specialist she told me she's can't wait to get the new equipment to go out and sell and you know the teams have great feature functionality but we still have lots of areas that we can even grow faster in those areas. Well, look, next time you're on, we're going to talk more about what you've done to help the less fortunate, which is a nationwide and nationwide thing that that I want to bring out from you because that isn't why you do it. But I know who you are. Brian Moynihan, Chairman CEO of Bank of America. I love seeing you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Real guy. Best numbers in the group. Can you imagine? Best numbers. And it's going to keep going on. That money's back after the break. Coming up, the earnings are in. And it looks like there's something likable about logistics. Kramer gets real on real estate with the CEO of Prologis next. In a market where very few groups have been consistently working, a handful of stocks stand out as dependable winners. Stocks like Kramer fave Prologis. That's the logistics real estate investment trust that owns warehouses and fulfillment centers all over the world that I keep talking to you about. This thing has been on a tear since late February, and for good reason. This morning, Prologis reported its first quarter results, and it turned in an excellent set of numbers. While the headline numbers were somewhat better than expected, there were some truly standout figures when you drilled down a bit more. Prologis, for instance, saw its same-store net operating income grow by 8.7%. Wall Street was only looking for 5%. More important, management raised their full-year forecast substantially. I wonder the stock jumped 4% today, although aren't we getting used to that? I am a big believer in this one because we simply don't have enough specialized logistic facilities, even as e-commerce continues to take share from brick-and-mortar retailers. That means Prologis can afford to raise rents, maybe even aggressively in some places, whenever they build a new facility. It's pretty much sold out long before it's even completed anyway. So let's take a close look with Hamid Mogadon, and he is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Prologis. Well, what the bankable Hamid. Mr. Mogadon, welcome back to Mayor Money. Hey, Jim. It's great to be back with you. Okay, so, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers, and I don't know where to start. I, I, I can start with the, the, the shortage of highly uh, specialized logistics. I've mentioned that before with you. I can talk about the almost no vacancy. But I want to go over a couple of people, a couple of things. Page 16 of your deck, the outfits that are your top customers. I mean, one's Swiss, one's French, one's Danish. I mean, these are people who I guess you're the only one. I mean, they're flocking to you. How is this possible? Well, you know, it's a global business. Um, You know, we're in the business of helping people move boxes from point A to point B. And oftentimes, uh, point A and point B are different continents, different countries. We operate in 19 countries that represent, in in aggregate, about uh, 70% of global GDP. 
So naturally, a lot of customers is, uh, come from those countries, and it's truly a global business. And that's one of our areas of competitive advantage, actually. I, I, well, look, I've got to tell you, when I saw where your assets under management are going, I mean, you've got Greenfield overseas, don't you? Well, we do. I mean, the penetration of uh, logistics real estate overseas is much lower than, than it is in the U.S. Even Europe is lower. Asia is just starting. Uh, places like China, Brazil and all that, almost non-existent. So I think we've got a lot of runway for growth. And of course, there are businesses right here in the U.S., which is a more mature market, that are transforming the shape of the industry. So there's growth everywhere. Uh, our only problem is that it's becoming increasingly difficult to find the land uh, to to develop these facilities. Uh, it, the communities are getting harder and harder to do business with um, with respect to these large facilities that require a lot of land. All right. So what do you do? The three uh, areas that you cited, they're really unbelievable for a uh, rent raise. Southern California, New York, New Jersey, New York. What do you do? You, you're going to have to use abandoned buildings, aren't you? Well, we're going to have to use everything, and we're going to have to use everything in different ways. For example, we uh, we will need to intensify industrial sites by going multi-story. Uh, we do that in places like Japan and China all the time. We've done one of those in the States, but we're doing a number of others right now under planning. So we need to in- intensify the land. We got to convert other types of land uses that are less in demand into logistic facilities. But we, we got to pull every trick out of the hat to satisfy the demand of our customers, which well, uh, seems to be insatiable. One of the things that you did do in terms of tricks out of a hat, you've got a community workforce initiative. Most people keep waiting for, a comp- for individuals to respond to a help wanted sign. You're not doing that. Yeah, we're not. And, and frankly, we, it's not our brilliance that got us into this business about Four or five years ago, we started hearing, long before COVID, by the way, we started hearing from our customers that they were really having a hard time attracting um, workers to the logistics business. And, you know, this is not the old logistics industry where people work for nothing in warehouses and it was really uh, difficult. Uh, well, it is difficult work, but it was, you know, dirty work and right, not good right. conditions and all that. These are really good jobs. Oftentimes, paying anywhere between 15 and 25, 30 bucks an hour, um, similar to a lot of the retail and hospitality jobs that have been displaced. But there was no on-ramp for uh, these high school graduates to to get into the workforce. So we started this program uh, in, in L.A. first, and then we grew it to Miami, and then we took it around the country and developed an online curriculum. And now our, our goal is to train 25,000 people and by the way, which is a drop in the bucket. I mean, this right. this can go on for, for a long time. But we've already trained 13,000 people, placed most of them in good jobs, and uh, and really addressed the pain point for our customers, which makes uh, them want to do more and more business with us and makes them stickier um, in, in terms of their business relationship with us. And we're taking the program overseas and doing it in other countries, too, because the, the problem is a global one. Well, the other thing I like that you're doing is energy, solar. I mean, I think the companies you're dealing with, you're in that third scope. You've got to deliver for them. It's a competitive advantage. It is. Uh, You know, we've been doing this for over 10 years. We're actually in the top three producers of rooftop solar in the country. I think 
Walmart, Target, and us sort of go back and forth uh, depending on the year. Um, and we've got a billion square feet of roofs around the world. So we're just scratching the surface there. I mean, this could be someday a three, four gigab- uh, gigawatt business. Uh, we're at 300 megawatts today. So, and, you know, with, with uh, electrification of mobility and transformation and, and transportation, demand for power is just going to go through the roof right. and we're not building a whole lot of new power plants. So, uh, we're going to do our part to help with generation of that power in a clean way. All right. One last question. Uh, Amazon, I'll, a percentage of net effect of rent, uh, 32,000 square feet, uh, 32, I'm sorry, it's square feet in thousands. Um, could Amazon rent everything you have? Uh, no. Um, uh, I don't remember the exact numbers for Amazon, but I think globally they're around 400 million square feet of warehouse space. Uh, so okay. we're a billion square feet. So, um, no, they can't, but they, they lease a lot of space. And I think uh, they represent today about 4% of our rent roll, uh, and they're by far the largest customer. Uh, we really appreciate their business, but uh, we also have 96% of our business in 5,000 other customers that we, uh, we aim to serve every, every day. Well, look, uh, these numbers, you know that we've been a fan of yours since since 2008. You were the best performer off the depression that we had. I regard it as a depression, not the Great Recession. And I just thank you for just continuing to deliver for shareholders. You're really terrific. Thank you, Amit. Thank you, Jim. See you soon. Absolutely. Hamid Mogadon, now you have to understand that this is a REIT. I mean, this is a, a growth REIT. And if you need, if you need to get income and growth, it's going to be prologious. And money's back there for the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time the Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm start with Jerry in Texas. Jerry! Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing well. Thank you, sir. I'm calling you today about a mining company. They're the largest producer of iron ore and nickel in the world. They have a PE of 4, dividend yield of 13%. Up 35% in the past six months. Right. They just signed a deal with Tesla to provide nickel for their EV batteries. Want to know if there's still a buy? The in, company is the Brazilian mining company, Vale. Yes, it is. Vale is a buy. Let me tell you one of the reasons. They, they put out some, uh, they add some numbers tonight for iron. They weren't that good. It, it, so maybe there's a chance to buy it on the way down. They're a winner. In this new world, they're a winner. William in California, William. First time caller and Club member. Oh, fantastic. Yes, thanks to have me on your show, Jim. Oh, I'm so glad you're on it. What's going on? I, I, in my research in financial markets, I found a profitable stock that has 3% dividend, and I'm thinking of taking a position in CNA. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'd rather go with the real um, actual owner of CNA, the majority owner, which is Lowe's, letter L. We did a very good piece about it the other day. I refer that in CNBC.com archives. It's really, really good. Let's go to David in California. David. 
Jim. 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 I'm a member of your club. You're a member of my family. You took a yes. picture with my son, Adam, in 2008 USC Engineering. Oh, Tell me fantastic. what you think about Gladstone Land Company. Well, we like the farmland business. I just don't want to, you know, we just talked about that. By the way, hey, we did the... Uh, the American campus deal that was really terrific. But Gladstone Land, we said, has gone up too much. You know what? It went up again. Hey, look, it's a winner as long as you understand that you're also getting involved with, you know, with what we all like, which is uh, a triple net lease that helps independent farmers. And that's a very good thing. Steve in New York. Steve. Jim, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Listen, I'm talking about uh, Varu. Does it have legs? Well, Varu has got, uh, we had Dr. Steiner a bunch of times. Uh, here's the here's the thing. The stock has moved up uh, dramatically, a thousand percent, which is a you know, I mean, well, I'm sorry, 100 percent. But now they have a drug that reduces the possibility of death and hospitalization by 55 percent. At the same time, there's some crazy thing going on where there's a big short squeeze at all times. I would tell you that this stock fluctuates, and you want to try to buy it on a big dip. Okay, that's what you do. Buy it on a big dip. Mike and Florida, Mike. Hey, Jim. So I, uh, I just got back from Europe, and I was, I've been visiting a lot of places, and everywhere there was an Alego, Alego, Alego EV charging station. And I just looked up some info, EBITDA positive, 100% revenue growth in 15 countries. Now with the gas shortages in Russia, is this a sleeping giant? Well, I mean, in the end, that is just not a good business. There's just, okay, there's no two ways about it. It's not a good business. Now, you're absolutely right. They're better at it than most, so I will bless it. As long as you understand, it's not a great business. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Why is Twitter so opposed to accepting Elon Musk's $43 billion takeover bid? I think maybe it's that best and final offer clause that's a sticking point. Remember, the board of directors is supposed to represent shareholders. And if they're going to sell the company, they want to negotiate a higher price. If they just take the first offer, they could be sued immediately for violating the fiduciary duty. And again, they have insurance for that kind of thing, and they could be sued the other way, too. I honestly think they should take the deal. It's better to leave a couple of bucks on the table than it is to see their stock drop to the low 30s, which is where I think Twitter's headed without a takeover bid. This company's an odd bird. The users, especially the heavy users, like to act like they own the place. These pseudo owners look at the value created by Twitter since it came public, basically nil. And they look at the value Musk has created for Tesla over the same period. Oh, the difference is staggering. At te- Tesla, he, he's living the best performance in the history of publicly traded companies. Talk about odious comparisons. As I see it, Musk can do to Twitter what Jeff Bezos did to the Washington Post, keeping it pure, not falling in hard times if ads dry up. He can turn Twitter's direct messaging into the way to link Tesla to a host of products. Your car could be your bank, your Amazon, your utility. I lived in my car. It could be a house. But in the constrained world of corporate boardrooms, past performance doesn't necessarily mean much. Otherwise, you see a lot more executive turnover at struggling companies. If you're a member of Twitter's board and you say something like, you know what? We haven't created value. Let's just give them the keys. Management will respond, wait a second. You're looking at Twitter how it was under Jack Dorsey's mercurial management style. Parag Agrawal, well, he just became the CEO in fall. Give the guy a chance. Twitter does have some irons in the fire, including, I hope, some button that allows you to block certain words. That would be a godsend for Jimmy Chill, as I'm now among the most hated people on Twitter 
and most of what is said about me is totally scatological. The board is both straight-laced and serious. They'll go by the book, which unfortunately for them is a real impediment to making their shareholders money. And unbound Elon Musk will make it so this whole thing becomes a referendum on them not him and his financing. I don't care that there are some private equity firms like Apollo circling. They're just putting up a shingle there. Musk is the richest man in the world, for heaven's sake. If he wants Twitter, nobody's going to outbid him. He's got the money. In the end, I think it comes down to who can make the most money for Twitter shareholders. Based on past performance, I think it's Musk all the way. Not just because he'll make shareholders a little bit richer if they take his offer, but because if he walks away from Twitter, those same shareholders will become a heck of a lot poorer. Musk is the only thing propping this stock up. If the board shoots him down, they're going to look like morons, just like the ultimate unforced error that I've seen in all of business. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.